a podcast that seeks to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. I am so glad you can join us for this episode. If you have not done so, please subscribe. And then if you could give us a five-star rating and review uh, on your platform of choice, would appreciate that very much. You know, when you read through the book of Acts and you see the life of Paul, who undoubtedly is the greatest missionary of all time and has such a transformative story. And you look at everything that he does in the book of Acts uh, and what was done to him, uh, you can only be left astounded. When you read through his epistles, the, uh, the letters he wrote to many of the churches that he started and others, uh, he mentions other events that are not covered in the book of Acts. Paul was a force. He went just almost everywhere in the known world at the time. But the question is, how did he do it? I mean, it may have been the first century, but it still took money to do stuff. How was he able to both fulfill his mission and his passion all while surviving. I mean, even though he didn't have a mortgage, he still had living expenses. It could not have been easy to do what he did. I recently read an article online by Justin Taylor of the Gospel Coalition. Uh, This is what he writes, quote, In his absolutely fascinating book, Paul and First Century Letter Writing, Secretaries, Composition, and Collection, E. Randolph Richards seeks to determine, among many other things, how much it might have cost the Apostle Paul to write his letters, including the securing of materials, the hiring of a secretary to make a copy for himself. Uh, After extensive research and calculation, he determined that on the low side, It would have cost him at least $2,000 in today's money to write the book of 1 Corinthians. And and of course, this does not include the cost of sending someone like Titus or, or, or Timothy or others on a long journey to then deliver this to the proper church. So how did he do that? Well, we do read in in a number of the epistles that he received support and offerings from many churches. Um, He he didn't necessarily have specific requirements. He might tell them the level of need that he was experiencing, but he was always very careful to thank them when they gave and remind them of God's faithfulness when they could not or give as much. And yeah, sometimes the support was larger than at other times. Obviously, great fluctuation. Now, another way Paul made income was by tent making. Maybe you've heard that expression if you've been in church at any point in time. We usually will use that for men and women of God, like pastors or missionaries, church planters, who they're kind of required to do something alongside. They they 
cannot just devote themselves full time to church ministry. They have to do something alongside to earn an income, or as we would call it today, a side hustle. Now, here's how we know that. This is Acts chapter 18, first three verses. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. So this is really the first time that we see that Paul sort of had this skill uh, when called upon that he could use to raise funds. And even though the general term was tent maker, you know, they're a tent maker, it was really more like tent repairer. Uh, as many tents uh, were used with leather and goat hair, some combination of that. Uh, and then from time to time, you know, tents would have to be patched with new cuts of leather. Uh, and, and this was usually the kind of thing that Paul would be called upon to do to uh, make a few bucks, if I could use that term. Um, and it was usually done that way. It was mostly repairing. It, it was quite an extravagance in order to have a new tent made because tents were usually, it was kind of their, it was their domicile. I mean, this is usually where they, they lived and they could obviously move the tent from place to place. He, he usually, that's what he was involved in. Tent makers that word literally means one that makes small portable tents of leather or cloth of goat's hair or linen for the use of travelers. And as we pick up in the story here, a lot of Jews were traveling against their will. They'd been thrown out of Rome by Claudius, who was Caesar at that time. So they would make small tents for different reasons and usually repair tents that were more worn down or more permanent. Now, some believe he really wasn't able to do this everywhere he went because it's not like Paul could arrive and just say, Paul's Tents Incorporated, because he wouldn't have any existing relationships in a city uh, in order to start a business. This isn't, uh, this isn't free market economy of, of the United States. Uh, or, or he would have to join a guild in other towns if he was going to employ his skills there. And, of course, that could take time. Uh, to get in, in involved. And again, more relationship building. I almost kind of see him as what you would call a handyman or like one of those mechanics who just works out of his own garage and they operate by word of mouth, uh, just helping people out and receiving funds to pay for Paul's expenses. Kind of reminds you of an artist, doesn't it? I mean, we know how difficult and rare it is to make a living from our art. And, and, and I know Paul wasn't an artist, maybe in the sense that we would call that today, but his mission and his passion, his calling from God was to do this. So therefore, he needed funds to sustain him. It's very much like an artist. It's really hard to be one of those few people that can devote our full-time attention to creativity and art. It's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, m most artists, and I do mean 
most in the 90 percentile have to rely on some sort of side hustle or two or three. And I'll say side hustle, even if it, it, it brings in more income than our arts. To me, it's still a side hustle because the main thing is the calling that God has given to us as artists. That's always the main thing. Now, we don't know from Scripture just how much time Paul had to devote to it, but it had to be somewhat regular. I mean, our Scripture, it it always seems understood that Paul has this skill. They say Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, just as Paul was. And we're like, oh, okay, didn't know that. Now, when Paul learned this skill, we don't know. We don't know if it was a childhood thing. Even though he had been in the rabbinical path from his earliest days, uh, he picked it up somewhere, and he clearly needed it from time to time. Boy, some of you can relate to that, right? <laughs> you find yourself doing things that you're like, I never thought I'd be doing this, but it's paying the bills. And when I see that Paul needed to do that, boy, it sure gives me hope. I just want to highlight a couple of things from, from this story that I hope will bring some hope to all of us. The first is this. We need not feel inferior that we need a side hustle in our life. Not that Paul is the center of our spiritual belief, but boy, doesn't it, doesn't it bring you a little bit of courage to know that Paul needed some extra help? I mean, he, he couldn't exactly make a living from what he was doing. And sometimes it was hard for the churches, and even to get the money to him was difficult. But we need not feel inferior for having a side hustle. It can be so hard sometimes when we see the, the best of the best. And you'll hear about painters that receive a commission, and they're working on that. Or uh, a writer is given a project to write a screenplay. Or, uh, you know, we'll see actors receiving a great role and they could take the time to study their part and find the motivation in the character and all that stuff. But that's not the norm. Most of it's you and me doing our thing, maybe nine to five, maybe carving out a little something from the gig economy to make it work. Maybe you're like me and you do a little DoorDash or you do some rideshare stuff. You don't have to feel inferior. And, and you know, when, especially if you're doing things in the service industries, like you're a waiter or uh, you're, you're serving tables or um, maybe you're cleaning houses or offices. In service industries, it's amazing because Jesus was all about service. And it's amazing how when you're in a service industry, how much spiritual warfare there is, especially if you have this artistic calling on you. I mean, I've had my moments, believe me, I, I'll have a, a really rough trip or two and I'll drop somebody off <laughs> in my mind. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to pull over here into this parking lot and reevaluate all my life choices. It can be very easy to do that. And you feel inferior. You can almost feel as if God's anointing isn't as strong upon your life as it is for this person or or that composer, whatever whatever that is. But I think Paul gives us great strength to realize that we don't have to feel inferior. He needed to do it too. And look what he accomplished. The second thing I want to bring out is 
we don't have to wait for all the money to come along until we do our art. These things happen complementary of each other. They happen together. We can't sit back and wait for X number of dollars to come in, and now we have enough to do our art for one year. It's just, it's just not going to work like that. Most of us won't be able to save up that much money, or it would take so long that we will have long forgotten what we were supposed to create. Paul didn't wait for the money to come in. He knew what his calling was. And so he went forward and did it, trusted in the Lord after that, made his need known to churches. And if all those things weren't in place, uh, he, he grabbed some leather and some repair kit and he would do what needed to be done. You know, I had a really great conversation with someone recently and it, it gave me a, a needed new perspective. For a long time, I've struggled with what part is mine and what part is God's. In other words, when does my striving and working cease and then when do I just wait for God to like show up and do it? And I was saying this to a friend recently, and his answer was so beautifully simple, but it really wrecked my world. And he said, isn't everything that we do supposed to be a partnership? It's not my part and God's part. I mean, that, that's akin to the married couple never putting their finances together. It's as if, you know, we have this barrier between us and the Lord. And wow, that really exposed a lot in me when I heard that. And it wasn't said um, with judgment or condemnation. It was just speaking truth from Scripture. And I recognized that this is, this is what we do. If the numbers aren't adding up, then it's us and the Lord together doing whatever we have to do in a side hustle or more to be able to keep it going. As long as we don't abandon our art in the process. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I, I want you to know, the money is never going to be there. When the Lord says step out, we step out and we start creating as best we can. And trusting in Him, working with us and through us. Not just waiting for bags of money to fall from the sky. But we do it with Him. And He helps to bring the provision that we need to carry on with our life. It's not a me versus him. It's us. the call. They have traveled the world and done the impossible with anything on four wheels. And 
And sometimes they've broken the rules to do what's right. And now, just as it seems they live in the sunset of their lives, comes one more challenge. Do they still have the speed to get it done? That does it. I'm not taking this lying down. Just wait till I go full throttle. How do you like me now at three miles per hour? Or maybe not. They just won't stop, even if they have to miss the early bird. Forget assisted living. With the chances they take, this is assisted dying. Do not underestimate them. They may seem like plain old seniors, but they still have one adventure left in them. Just get them in their ride and watch them go. You've never ever seen speeds like this. Oh, wait, he's coming around again. This is no antiques roadshow. This is the Fast and the Furious 9. Rated AARP in theaters July 2050. passages from a book I've, I've been reading off and on for the last year or so. And I've read it from, I've read from this book once before for this podcast. It's called Culture Care. Uh, the author is a, uh, an artist who happens to be a believer, uh, Makoto Fujimura. And I think he, uh, he makes some great statements about what we've been talking about in this episode. Um, with a, a side hustle. And you'll forgive me if you hear pages turning <laughs> through the microphone. He says, many artists struggle to make a living from their work. And I'm often asked how I began my career. I answer first by speaking of the mindset I have found essential. Being self-supporting is good, but it is also a noble thing to be able to work nine to five in an unrelated field even in a boring job, when this is done purposefully to make art possible. If you are waiting tables, it's one thing to do so to pay your rent, but it is another thing entirely to do so to make your art. In the former mindset, you were in survival mode, barely making it. In the latter, you were always creating, letting your intuition germinate, even as you serve others. This is the generative path. Many masterpieces of still-life paintings from 17th and 18th century Amsterdam were produced by shopkeepers who sold cheese until early afternoon, then closed up shop and painted for the rest of the day. 
T.S. Eliot was a banker. Many notable writers and artists have had day jobs. Some have told me that they create better when they have a stable work environment. Others even look intentionally for boring bureaucratic work. He goes on to say, it is impossible to be an artist today. You must persevere beyond your limits, facing naysayers, your doubts, and your limited abilities. But if painting or acting or writing is the only way you will find your inner thriving, then you must cultivate that art and see whether your work can lead to thriving for both you and your family. Under such conditions, if you are not deeply convinced of your call, vacillation will cause despair and affect your work. Attitude matters. Even if you are truly called, you will find occasions to complain when circumstances do not align with that sense of call. This is different from an attitude of entitlement that is enraged when the world does not instantly support you. But a complaint coming out of your calling is more invitation than demand. Having a positive outlook in adversity should be one of the main factors you consider in recognizing your calling. Rather than giving up because of the many, many closed doors we face as artists, and rather than being angry at the world for, quote, our art not meeting the needs of the world, we can rejoice in our lack, as it is ultimately God, the grand artist, who will answer our cry and provide bread for our journey. Isn't that amazing? I love that perspective. And really what he's saying here is, chances are you're going to be that person. But it's our perspective in it. If We have to make sure that our side hustle doesn't turn into the golden handcuffs in which our whole life becomes, again, just about paying bills. And we, we do so at such a pace that we ignore our art. And I know it's difficult at times. Sometimes when I come home from driving all day, I mean, I am just collapsed. I've been so ultra-focused for so many hours that there's no way I can quite do it. But I've been challenged recently that I need to reallot my schedule so that I can have dedicated, formal times of creating. I want to encourage you to do that. And for some of you, you will be able to come home because it's, it's going to uh, you know, use a part of the brain that hasn't been activated the rest of the day. You've been left-brained all day long, and now you can use the right side of the brain and you can create. Great, go for that. If that's not so much the case, I, I really want to encourage you to get in your calendar and put in very specific times devoted towards creating. And whether it's initially just going to be for you or for somebody else, if we're not doing that, now who are we? Yes, we're children of God. We are children of God who are called by Him to create, among other things. But yes, to create. So let's not... Let's not just put paying our bills at the top shelf and then whatever happens after that is fine. It doesn't matter because you will leave your art behind. 
and you will be filled with so much regret. Do not be one of those people. Try to be more like Paul and get at, get at your calling. Find people who can tell you the truth to see if there's legs on this, if, if what you do has possibilities to it. And if so, move forward with the Lord. Trust in him that he's going to open doors of provision for you, whether it's through the work you do, whether it's speaking to other people who want to sponsor or, or be a patron of what you do. Um, who knows? There's just so many ways that the Lord could operate. I don't want to limit him. But let's bring him alongside. Don't make the mistake I've made for so long and say, well, I don't know. This is my part. I just have to get it done. Would you be a partnership? Bring Jesus into everything you're doing, your regular work, your creative work, and say, okay, Lord, how could we do this together? Don't be ashamed of the side hustle because this is most likely the very thing. If we keep it in the right perspective, this is the very thing that the Lord will use to allow you to create something while you're able to exist and survive and hopefully thrive. Well, we appreciate you being a part of the MatCast. Please share this with a friend. We would love to expand our MatCast family. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources and this podcast, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.